Welcome back to another episode of Revillaging, the podcast about lots of different aspects of building healthy, healing community. Ravi Deepkor is a presence coach and anti-oppression consultant who lives in the UK and invites others into mindful activism. Her special focus is on decolonization and reclaiming power, and her approach is underpinned by her Sikh spirituality. I'm looking forward to chatting about the cyclical relationship between community and activism. Is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? No, I think that's a lovely introduction. Thank you. You've kind of hit all those points. And it's interesting as um, I also evolve as a person, kind of the work also evolves with me. So, yeah. Yeah. And I can identify with that as well. I think that's a healthy thing to not stay in one place, but to, to keep on moving. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the time we do hold on to these identities and statuses. And yeah, I think they're part of the problem, to be honest, as well, because for me, it feels like, you know, those power dynamics that we're talking about are built through those levels of hierarchy. So for me, it's really important in all types of my work, but even us having this conversation that the hope is that we're going to be open enough to evolve from the conversation because, you know, although where you're interviewing me or we're having this conversation, I'm going to gain a lot from this as well. And that's how I like to approach my work, but also I suppose just my way of being as well. Yeah, I always find that. In fact, I think that's, it's one of my favorite ways of learning is having conversations with people rather than, you know, reading is amazing. Listening to talk is amazing, but there is something that really happens when you exchange, um, not just ideas, but exchange on a deeper level with people by chatting and listening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, The pandemic has shown us that um, technology is great, but there's nothing like human connection, Uh, right? Yeah. (laughs) At the same time, I think I've had access to more of these conversations than I would have done otherwise, because, you know, living living in Cornwall in um, a part of the UK where, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I've not really been in the right spaces, but some of the conversations that I've been able to have, particularly about things like activism, have definitely been enriched by being able to talk to people in other parts of the mm-hmm. world. Um, before we started recording, actually, you were mentioning that being able to talk to people in America has been really enriching for you in terms of thinking about, well, seeing how kind of differently yeah. things are being shaped elsewhere. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the first time that, um, and and that's a really great point, actually, Adele, as well, because I probably wouldn't have had that experience because it was kind of an in-person retreat and they'd moved it online. And there's been a couple of things like that, just in terms of things going on and conversations opening up. And um, I suppose those barriers that sometimes for people like maybe you and me who are in geographical parts that are maybe not as accessible or not having these open and honest conversations conversations about like activation so yeah that was a really interesting experience just last week and it was in the midst of everything going on with the Meghan Markle interview and interestingly enough just I was really um almost floored by the openness of mostly the the white coaches actually being open and honest and talking openly about race and oppression and 
putting their hands up for the things that they didn't understand and looking towards kind of other people, not from like a labor point of view, but more just of like an enriching kind of experience. Like tell me more from your lens, from your perspective. And to be honest, that's not something that I've experienced here in the UK at Mm. all. Yeah, I can identify with that. And what a relief not to have to be in the educator role all the time. Yes, 100%. And interestingly, um, because it was all kind of online on Zoom, there was a few kind of sisters of colour and Indigenous women. And um, all it took was kind of somebody to say something and then that was it. It was opening up. But there was this lovely little DM community as well going on that just felt really full and as though we all had each other's back. And I, again, think we're not there here in the UK because our own levels of internalized oppression and even like colonial thought and ways of being. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm anywhere close to being decolonized because I think it is very much a kind of back back and forth movement but the more I'm learning the more I'm understanding that it's so much easier to talk about these things but to actually embody them because they're everywhere sometimes that disconnection between academia and what's happening on a grassroots level there doesn't seem to be that mismatch um, that that connection and there is this huge like wide gap of who gets to talk about it and who's allowed into those conversations and I think we need to start looking again at power dynamics and hierarchies and how we call people into the conversation and also from like a spiritual and healing perspective as well because we often talk about education and anti-oppression and decolonization as though they're standalone things however when we start looking at it holistically And, you know, we've had many conversations prior to this just about parenting and mainstream, obviously, education and how it seeps in in all of those other ways as well. And you catch yourself and we need to start joining those dots up. And the more we do that, the more we start to see that it's all interconnected and interrelated when it comes to dominant systems of oppression. Yeah, absolutely believe that, that that's the conditioning that we've been led into. And it's not that just sort of a, a change in sort of logic or theory that's going to allow us to get under things, but that it's internal work, something deeper, more permeating. That's something that I am really drawn to in the work that you do, that there's a real compassion there and there's an understanding that there is an inner work that needs to happen, a mindful approach that needs to happen. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Why do you take a mindful approach to activism? It's really interesting. I've been thinking and um, deep diving again. I'm always kind of critically examining my own positionality as well, because that's part and parcel of being in the world like this. But um, mindful approach for me is I just feel as though I actually do it for myself to be honest it's a way that organically came about when I was having really difficult conversations regarding race and racism you know and the things that we've spoken about before because of those difficulties because of that fragility because of the violence the microaggressions and it was a way initially to protect myself as a tool to understand that although I'm talking to an individual they're conditioned within a system 
And it allowed me to almost remove my personal issue with that person and start to look at the system, but also me as part of that. And when we talk about being present, again, it's just... I think the language, we, we make it out to be something more, even mindfulness has been taken from so many other places. But when we look at like being present and spirituality and, and self-care, whenever we are feeling okay, it's usually when we're present. So for me, that's the key is actually noticing when your body is here or when it's dis- disassociating And when we feel uncomfortable, when there's those levels of discomfort and we've got those habitual ways of being, we need to start noticing what our body is actually communicating to us. And I noticed like I was doing only a workshop yesterday and there's this desire to rush to fix the answer, to get to the end. When are we going to do this? And when are we going to do that? And it's like, can we just stay in the complexities? Like, I love sitting in the gray because when we're in the unknown, that's where there's possibility. As soon as you think you know something concrete, that's it. You've kind of lost. And I think with all the great things that social media does, and we wouldn't be sitting here without those connections, what it has done is simplified, very complex topics. Mm, Yeah. I totally see that because everything is reduced to a meme. And it's about what's sort of shareable rather than what really sits in that complexity that you're talking about, sits in that space in between. I also kind of wonder whether it's slightly disrespectful to our ancestors to think that, you know, they went, they didn't solve things immediately in their lifetime, but we think that we can come along and just smash our way through things and create the new world. Yeah. Yeah. It's something really powerful to think about, isn't it? And um, I've been intentionally thinking about how I want to show up online, where I want to put my writing. And, you know, I just want to name the fact that when you are somebody who's minoritized and in a position who is, you know, almost educating or consulting, there is this sense that you're a commodity to be consumed. Mm. And we have to be really mindful of what we're actually trying to do. And for me, that checking in all the time of what am I doing and why is so important because I don't want to make my work inaccessible to the people that really need it. Yeah. And I've been connecting with kind of grassroots organizations and in, you know, they, they've been saying because of social media, that way that our ancestors were organizing on ground level, it's almost as though we don't have that skill set anymore. Mm. We don't know how to organize and we're always looking for a leader. Whereas prior to that, and really what we should be looking at is what can we do ourselves rather than looking elsewhere what can we do within our own communities within our own ecosystems and that workshop I was talking about somebody had asked for the slides and I was like it's not something I normally do but more than that can we get curious to why we need the knowledge more than the reflection this rush to learn 
and intellectualize everything is something that I see and, you know, again, see through my children through mainstream education about what boundaries and hierarchies are being placed on them as well and how the conditioning is so deep that even at adult level, we want to be the best in class. We want to be, you know, even when we're talking about internal unlearning, there is this sense that we have to be better. We need to know the language. But what you said prior, you know, before it was like, well, if we only know the language and we don't go any deeper than that, that's coming specifically from, you know, an egoic sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot has a lot to do with, I mean, that there's a colonial structure with that as well. The the worship of experts, the need for an expert, the needs to um, feel that we are an expert before we're able to act or say anything. And yeah, there's, oh gosh, so many, just so many layers to unpack that. With what you were saying about mainstream school, I'm, it's interesting to me as somebody who talks a lot about self-directed education and you know, I am critical of school, but I still find that in myself that I have to keep on asking, have I done that? Or have I said that? Or am I seeking that because of my need for external validation? And is it out of a concern about how I'm going to look rather than what I'm going to do? And so we do need to open this out and step away from intellectualism that makes people a bit panicky about activism. Absolutely. And I think even just unpacking what activism means for us in 2021, what it really means to us on a personal level, like there's so many ways that activation takes place. And a lot of what people see online or the way that I shop in my work is not where it's happening, you know, to feel like I I just, you know, want to name the attack today on like our Asian like siblings, brothers and sisters, something that has been happening for, for a long time. And, you know, to be able to feel the human connection, the humanness of what's happened, yeah. you know, reading about this stuff, but to just really sit when I, when I, you know, when I, when I hear this stuff, it needs to be felt. And I used to think, And again, going back to a colonial way of being, I used to think like if you show emotion or if you show a weakness, this is, it's a failure on your part. And I think especially as as a a woman, being gendered as a woman and all of these things that come with that. But um, I was realizing today that actually that's where the strength is to really feel another's pain as though it's yours is where the need for me to continue to activate comes from, like it doesn't come from anywhere else. And we're so fearful of being looked at in a certain way. And I would just like to invite anybody that's like listening, you know, that that sense of vulnerability to actually feel is actually so powerful and is our strength as humans if we want to connect with the fullness of our humanity. Hmm. I think activism often feels like something that is left for a few people, something that's separate from our day-to-day living. But the way that you're talking about it is really scooping it up into 
our everyday lives, our, our existence, the way that we just are with others, recognizing that it's not about what's happening over there for someone else, but it is connected to our own humanity. Yeah, we ha- we have to start looking, you know, we talk about systems of oppression, but the systems that we hold up internally within ourselves as well are super important to break down, you know, just through this conversation, these few minutes, both of us have named a couple of things that we realize that we're doing. And, you know, the, the, the almost punishment and the conditioning and the expectations that we place on ourselves that we also then project onto others. And, you know, we hear things like intergenerational trauma and the breaking of those cycles but we have to recognize them. We have to be aware of them to then to be able to break them. And that is a type of activism. That is a type of activation because you are not then placing that trauma, that conditioning, that expectation from my point of view to my children. And there are times if I'm not present, if something else is going on, I will see and hear things and I have to catch myself feet on the ground sensation to get back into the body and be like, right, so where is this coming from? So this isn't just something that I talk about. This is something that I am trying to practice and embody and pass on to my children for them then to question and challenge when they are in connection and in community with other people. It's almost like that 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 stone that you throw into the water and you just do not know where those ripples are going to go. And we're always, always thinking big on social media. It's, you know, we've got this obsession with numbers and followers. And again, it's a replication of hierarchies. If we're not careful, we can get pulled in really easily. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the way that we're recognized and we've got to be honest, I could sit here and say, it doesn't matter, but, For other people, it does. For other people looking in, it does. And it shows me that we just have not moved forward. We keep saying we want to dismantle the system, but we keep finding other places to replicate it because something new feels too radical. Yeah. And on a subconscious level, we can see, you know, the more thousands of followers somebody has, the more you think that what they have to say must be worth listening to when, you know, it can mean it doesn't really doesn't mean very much at all. And there are lots of people who aren't on social media or who are on and maybe have, you know, just real mates as their followers. And they have incredibly deep, wise things to say that don't come with lots of jargon and a lot of the hangups that come from performative activism. Not saying that everybody with a big following is performative, but, you know, there definitely is a temptation for the ego, the more eyes that are on us. The ego is always there, Adele. Like, it's just, it's fascinating. Like, it's something that I'm really leaning into because I see it all the time. And when it comes to my own levels and journey with, like, my my sick spirituality as well, I'm starting to see that this framework that was given to me as a faith, as a religion, is also a conscious way of being. And we have this... um, and ego is mentioned in our scriptures over and over again in a poetic manner. And, you know, it's interesting when I talk about presence and mindfulness and the more I connect with my ancestors and my own lineage, 
I see that those experiences, the language that I maybe didn't have before, I'm now seeing how those experiences connect with my own lineage. And that is the most powerful thing. And I see and can feel the ego at all times. And I think the more you start to be inquisitive about where your ego shows up, the more that you can catch it and disrupt it because it's usually there to protect you. It's usually there to make sure you're okay. If it, you know, if, if you see or sense fear, it's usually there and it will stop you from moving forward. And I think that's been really helpful just to watch. Okay. Where, where is it showing up for me rather than it just being, Oh, that's ego. That's just too much. It's no, it's going to be there, but it's like, can we override it? Can we really transcend it? And connect again to not only our humanity others as well it's a much less judgmental way of viewing yourself and the way that you show up I think that's one of the things that there's a temptation to do two things with activism I think one thing is to in intellectualize things and to jump in before we're really ready before we've really sat with things and and felt and you know really engaged our empathy but then the other side of things is to just not engage at all not do anything not say anything because you're worried about getting it wrong or because you feel like it's just going to take too long to fully understand what's going on and all of that is connected to to fear, to the need, this need to, well, perfection, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> something we need to unpack. Yeah, perfection. perfection is, um, there's just, there's just nothing, there isn't anything. There is nothing. There is nothing that's ever going to be perfect. And we need to start understanding where those stories come from. And a lot of ours stem from our, our own issues whether that's childhood or ancestral woundage and, you know, encouraging, just inviting people to start to understand where some of this stuff comes from. And the more that you connect with like-minded people, you start to realize that we're all having these conversations in our head anyway. And to have them with compassion, to have it, you know, something to work with and work towards feels like a doable task to me rather than something that we just ignore or don't talk about. We talk about this sense of vulnerability, but to get really vulnerable means to really like sit with yourself and your inner, inner workings, that, that chatter that goes on all the time that we all have. You mentioned about like what activism in 2021 looks like. Do you have sort of a picture of what that looks like? I think it's personal to everybody. I would say that that one person's activism shouldn't mirror somebody else's just because of that reason. And again, we're coming with our own stories and we're all on this journey. And for me, it is a spiritual journey and we're all on a different path. And whatever is working for you might not work for others. But for me, it is about doing, embodying those things in my daily life the things that I talk about are the things that I practice. It isn't separate from what I want to do and achieve in my day, in my day. So just allowing myself though, those levels of um, ease, <laughs> those levels of ease and even with my parenting and things, you know, there's this rush, like you said, just 
to get to the finish point. And I'm really interested in what the journey's like and to be really present with myself and everybody that I meet. But I think just to, to be in integrity all the time and to be checking myself is what my levels of activism feel and look like. But that thing that you said earlier about not doing anything, I don't think that is the way to be because this is everybody's responsibility and you need to decide what role and responsibility that you're going to play in this, that, you know, if you are following people online or you are reading the books, there has to come a point where you take action because we can all sit in that learning circle for so long. And that doesn't mean we need to rush ahead, but I think just having those opportunities to think, well, what can I do? And again, what can you do in your community? So with what we're seeing in the US, with anti-Asian hate, you know, there is that need. And I've seen so many tools and I have to resist it myself as well. Like these are the things we can do. These are the things that we can, this is where we can place our money and this is what we can do. But what else can we do that actually brings the humanity of Asians that are in your community, people that you haven't connected with? And why don't you become curious about that and then activate yourself within your community activate yourself within the playground in your office like this is the thing though that it's it's all connected that activism is an important part of belonging to the community of humanity but also that in activism is tiring and it's um it's just it can be destabilizing because it calls us to question things that are deeply held and deeply ingrained and and so we do need to have a community with other people who are on that journey to sustain us and to take, you know, to even just have the exchange of, of ideas and to be able to mentor each other and um, just, you know, fellow travelers on, on the way, I guess is a way of sort of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we've seen, yeah, I love <laughs> yeah and I mean the way that I've, I've kind of said that that can make it sound as if like it's some sort of like that's a nice idea but we're seeing that in a very very real way you highlighted a very real way um that we're seeing that um with the farmers protests in India where a, an actual physical community is being created in the midst of of this protest and yeah, what a beautiful thing. And, and actually that is tied to Sikh spirituality as well because of the community who are making it happen. Yeah, I love that you, I know I know we've kind of connected on this. And I think, um, yeah, the, the farmers, if, you, if people don't know, 100 days like plus, we are talking about makeshift camps they have been protesting. And to be out in India in that cold weather, like is not like, if anybody's been out on one day protest, you know how stressful and tiring it is. These are huge communities that have just up and left. And to me, I I found it really difficult because these are revolutionary moments happening in real time. And you know, the frustration of the community when you see, and I think that's why I was really feeling for um, the Asian community as well today, because it's like, when I've like been looking at what's been happening there, there's a lot of their elderly 
people that have been attacked and violently murdered. And it was similar to what we were seeing on social media regarding the um, Indian farmers as well. When you see people like your grandparents being treated like that by the police and the government, it is the opening up of ancestral wounding in so many different ways because the sick um, history is so deeply entwined with with India and yeah it's it's been a difficult time for the community but when you see others who are supposed to be on this journey of unlearning and activation not mentioning it at all because it looks as though it doesn't connect with them that can be really difficult but it is about just using and sustaining your energy for the right reasons I had a lot of people from my community kind of contacting me and being like, why are people not talking about this? And it's like, well, instead of us using that, because energy is just one ball, like you've only got one piece of energy and it's like, well, where are we going to place that energy? Is it going to be to call people out and police people or is it going to be to place it where it needs to go? And I think just reframing what's happening makes it a lot a lot easier to manage in terms of energy, but it also makes it sustainable. You know, there's so many activists that I've spoken to that feel a huge level of like guilt if they don't continue to activate 24 seven, and then there's nothing left for them at the end of the day. And that's no good because then we're heading for burnout and then we lose somebody really good. In order for this to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for your own your, your own lifestyle. And it isn't for anybody else to police what you should and shouldn't be doing because I don't think that's the right placement of energy. Use your precious energy in the best ways possible. And that's very personal to everybody. I guess one thing I sort of think with that is that some people might argue that, you know, because we all have a limited amount of energy, that means that we should only be targeting issues that directly relate to us. And we know that, you know, if you without meaning to, we all make decisions like that based on our privilege. And so we don't tend to see how the issues that we're concerned about intersect with people who are more targeted so like just top of mind thinking thinking about that is um if somebody is really concerned about climate crisis as we all need to be um but is Mm -hmm. unable to see how racial injustice links in with that and how you know actually the what's happening in india is very is very much entwined with this. So, you know, all every climate activist should be talking about this. So just any, and I don't use that in the sense of like anybody who has a, a big, big platform, but anybody who is capable of writing their MP should be concerned mm-hmm. about that because of the just the sheer numbers that is affecting mm-hmm. and the way that farming could be revolutionized and what can happen. I think a lot of it is that we don't really understand how a lot of these things are, are joined up. And so it's almost like there needs to be, well, not almost like there is a sense that we need to, um, that's why we need decolonization so that we can understand what the interconnections are. Yeah, 
if you bring yeah if you bring it back it is all interconnected and yeah i i agree with you that my feelings are that these these issues are all interconnected what we do affects others and it all just goes round and if you look at history it's just repeating itself in different ways so the colonized mindset and ways of being are still very much present in so many different ways but i think this is where you know you mentioned about privilege and it's about taking those concepts really really back to the back to basics so if you think you're very advanced in your kind of activism journey and you think that you know and understand privilege but then you are not constantly checking on it this is where we start to see harm and you see it a lot and then it goes back to what i was saying a replication of hierarchies and dominance because your piece your single issue becomes the only issue that you can focus on and and you know don't get me wrong there's so many things going on i can't talk about everything you can't talk about everything but i think it's having that awareness and it's that connection between this is a dot to dot and it's all connected so whether we're talking about farming in india or we're talking about what's happening in america these things are all interlinked and then you know we've had here in the uk the tragic murder of sarah everard and we've had these deep apparently deep conversations about intersectionality and whose voices are amplified and whose are erased and here we are again who you know it's the same people that don't get highlighted over and over again and unfortunately that's just a replication of colonialism that's what we keep seeing and if we don't have those two things and it's almost why i've changed my stance to anti oppression with decolonization rather than it just being anti racism because the more i learn and grow i'm like well it can't just be that one thing i might not be so called specialist or expert on those things but i understand how capitalism and climate change and all of these things are interconnected with what we are experiencing on ground level right now and actually in the uk with these new bills we should all be very worried about freedom of expression but especially from a privileged point of view who needs those protests the most it's going to be the people from minoritized communities who don't have a voice and if we don't make those connections and we keep up t- keep on taking up so much space because our egos won't allow anybody else in it, it it's just it's we're not going to see change are we we really aren't yeah actually thinking with these bills changing and uh, for those who aren't in the uk or aren't where it's restricting the right to protest here in the UK. What what occurs to me is that we're one year into a pandemic where everybody is just feeling so exhausted socially and emotionally and maybe not physically well because they have had they have long covid or because there are a ream of other ways our health has been affected by all of this you know the extreme measures that have had to come in and so i just think it must be really hard for a lot of i think well we were both saying how we're feeling heavy you know mm-hmm. um and it must be really hard to get together the energy for that 
you know, especially if you're if you weren't there already to newly get together the energy to say, no, I am going to fight for my right to protest when actually a lot of people are probably just feeling a bit battered and like, actually, I just want everything to go back to normal. So if that means that we don't have protesters and we're able to return to normal, then that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really I really relate to that when, you know, as a mother of three. <laughs> It has been really challenging on so many levels. And I've noticed myself, you know, I took a massive step back from social media because of energy, of where I was exuding energy and where it needed to be at that point. And, you know, that, that is something that we've got to consider, but we've also got to look at, we're not allowing for the slowness of the conversations. We're not allowing for mental well-being. We keep saying slow down and self-care and mental health, but nothing's changing at systems level. But that also means our expectations of one another. You know, I put this um, out of office email on <laughs> at the start of COVID when I was homeschooling and um, just basically saying I- I'm available for work, but I'm going to take a few more days because I'm prioritizing what needs to be prioritized. And it was so interesting because people would just ignore it. And there would be an expectation, especially from new queries coming in. And it clearly states my work is about like stillness and contemplation. And that's what I'm embodying and practicing here. And I hope that you can do the same type of thing. But the expectations from other people, like they would just send another email the next day. And and it was like, no, I got the first one. And to me, it just puts me off from working with that person or that organization, because I'm like, all you're wanting is to get to the finish line. And this is not what I'm about. Like, I'm not going to do one standalone workshop, for example. I'm not going to do that because this is about a slow and reflective process. But also when it goes back to that notion of normality, normal was never working. We should really not want to return and we need to resist the conformity because that's what it is. There's, it feels like it's easier because we know, but if anything this year has shown us over and over again, the impermanence, like we don't, we're not in control of this. I'm sure people had so many plans of what they were going to do this year, past 2020, and they've just been blown out the water. And to me, there's something really beautiful about that and not minimizing from like the, the tragic grief and losses that we've had of human life, not minimizing that. But the fact that if we could just take some of the lessons and we need to think, why can we not? Because we keep upholding capitalistic notions of production and expectations, but we do it to ourselves and then we project that onto others. And all it takes, you know, I'm saying it's as though it's easy because it's not. And I'm in community with a few mums and they were all getting very flustered about, you know, all of the conversations happening online. Like we had this virtual classroom and I was like, don't look at the messages. And it just seemed like it was really revolutionary. But I was like, if you don't look, you do what you need to do. You know that your child is safe and is being educated. Move away, make a distance between that because then that opens up energy. That opens up energy for you then to use it. 
And it's that ego thing again, isn't it? This is becoming about you and being competitive and being the best mom. And if there's, you know, your child has got 72 tasks still to do. What does that matter if you've had a really nice like baking session and a walk? Mm. Like seriously, does it matter? And I know like you'll relate to this because of your own ideologies and ways of being with your children, but some people are still there and I'm like semi still there, but resisting those things are part of the activation because you then start to see it's like a domino effect. Oh, it's there. It's there as well. And somebody described it as a, um, a light that's been switched on and you can't not see it and you start to see it everywhere. It's that confusing being busy with being important and forgetting <laughs> that we matter regardless of what we do, regardless of what our output is. That's not what it's about. Exactly. Yeah. And, the you know, we talk about activation and it's, what are the punishments that we place on ourselves and our bodies as well? Constantly. Like if we were to write down the inner chatter that goes on in just one hour, I think we'd all be quite shocked. And it is about constantly resisting. And this is why I place so much emphasis on the power of presence. Because as soon as you're as soon as you realize you're not present, you're present again. <laughs> And it's not something, you know, we talk about, as I was saying at the start, these formalized ways of like mindfulness and meditation. And we must do like half an hour of yoga for it to count. But what if we change that to five minutes or a quick 10 minute walk or like three breaths? Like who, 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 where do these expectations come from? Even that those like self-care things that are supposed to be for us are supposed to be personal become this like arena of like competitiveness and like as though they've been commodified again yeah and you know we have to place that on like white supremacy again yeah we're just trapping everybody regardless of what your background or positionality is we're all swimming in this and well not swimming very well no, no, we're not. And I, I do feel as though, though, you know, with what's happened just this past year with the murder of George Floyd and what continues to happen is that I do feel like there is a level of leaning in. And it's it's not everybody, but there's enough of us that are wanting to change and make a difference. And to me, that just brings me so much hope when um, I run a workshop or a coaching session and there's been progress or learning, it just feels like there's something there that people can work with and move forward with rather than it being a tick box or for my ego to be massaged in that moment. It's that toing and froing because I always learn so much. And um, just with that power of being present with people. There's just a real opening up, I think. And that's that's what I've experienced when I've been in these, these, place, these spaces or even just speaking to people online, just realizing that people are kind of ready to, for more vulnerability than they've had in the past. And you really can't have that 
human level connection unless people are willing to expose themselves or to offer something of themselves in these conversations you know what you were saying yeah. about not wanting to return to to normal I mean one of the big things for me this year has just not been a- being able to see my mother and so that's a that's something that I don't thank the pandemic for but you know um, that aside I do recognize that it's allowed me to be still enough to move away from certain things, to question certain things, and um, and to create new pathways for myself as well. But something that really made that clear to me was when this roadmap to opening up was announced, I suddenly had a drop in, um, in my mental health. And I was just so overwhelmed and anxious that I struggled to leave the house. A lot of the time I didn't didn't leave the house. And um, I kind of blame that on lots of different things until I finally realized that what it was, was that the idea of having to jump back into my old life was just terrifying. (laughs) And that it was an invitation not to do that and not to Mm -hmm. think ahead to the whatever month is going to be, because we don't really know, but to just come back to this present moment you know, this day, this hour, this minute, this moment, and thinking about what needs to happen here. So I haven't been on social media that much um, recently either Mm. because I've realized that actually I don't have the capacity. I mean, I think I'm getting back to where I feel like I am, but I haven't had the capacity to be putting out thoughts in public at the same time as just trying to be here for the people around me. And for myself. Yourself, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That was really beautiful. And I think just realising that this has been collectively transformational for everybody and the rush to go and be placed in places that we don't want to be in, that, you know, our body's resisting it and it's communicating on so many levels. And if only we would listen to the wisdom if only we would listen to what the body is telling us I just feel as though we could really really change things and just recognizing that this this return to normal whatever that looks like for you for everybody just to take it at their own pace there's you know there's loads of things that we've lost and grieve you know we've we've been in collective grief about and some of that stuff we don't want back and that feels strange as well because it's that untrodden path like what what does this look like now for me and you know I keep coming back to this because the more I'm learning about colonial kind of constructs it is that there must be rules there must be something to follow when we look at different ways of being in the world from a spiritual point of view. There is this kind of freeness, this spirit to just place yourself wherever, you know, when we're talking about nature and we were talking about, you know, the farmers in India and it's like being in connection with the motherland, with the earth, all of these things, you know, we only do that through the power of presence and really listening to what our inner wisdom saying. 
And that's what I'm encouraging people to do is reclaim parts of themselves that have either been lost or taken away or that they're rebuilding to then show up in a completely different way. And it's painful because it feels as though you're losing parts of yourself. And to be honest, you are. And when I work with, you know, particularly white women with regards to anti-oppression, they're always really surprised that it becomes very personal very quickly because of how much white supremacy has shaped who they are, but also other dominant ways of being, whether we're talking about the patriarchy or capitalism in, you know, that, that thing of the domino effect. And it's about building self-trust within yourself. So these two ways that I'm merging together, I feel as though that is the aim is to bring everything together so that we know how to show up in the world. So we're not questioning if we do something wrong, because if we do something wrong, we can just hold our hands up and say, I'm really sorry, I need to learn from this. Like, why, why can we not do that? And we must question where those notions have come from. Thank you for listening to this conversation. Come support my work on Patreon and delve a bit into the issues discussed in this podcast over there. The link is in my show notes.